0: Dear Shooter, Ever meet anyone that just has their shit together? No matter what life throws at them, they always land on their feet. Listen closely Shooters as we spend the next hour talking with Amari Prasad It's
1: not about protecting the stupid, it's just, it, it is what it is. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a self identifying llama. <laughs>
2: and it, it, it's
1: because I oh. have a quick temper and I like to spit.
0: You no. are not safe, and you are not sacred, and you're both hired.
1: We're talking about firearms,
0: John.
1: I keep it clean. <laughs> I can hide one under there. One what? I want to know.
2: I look like I got ran over by a train truck on the way to Sherman Williams, and then backed over by the short bus.
1: You know, let's talk about the modern trends in transsexual transitions. <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Deer Shooter podcast. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WyoTac, empowerment through self-reliance, and by Lucid Optics, on target, under budget. All right, happy Thursday, and as promised, we are joined by Omari Broussard. Uh, how you doing, Omari?
0: I'm great. How are you doing, Jake? Good to be here.
2: You're doing good. We're we're up here in the frozen tundra, but we're 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 surviving.
0: That's what's up. That's what's up.
2: So, you are the absolute first Navy guy that we've had on the show.
1: Nah, Go Navy! That can't be true.
2: It is. He's the first Navy guy. First Navy guy.
0: <laughs> Go Navy!
2: Well,
1: congratulations, brother. You're the first <laughs> Navy. <guy.
0: laughs> Already making history, y'all. This is gonna be a great one.
2: Now, so you, you finished out your Navy career. You were chief?
0: Yeah, retired chief. Okay. And what
2: did you do while you were in the Navy?
0: Uh, my primary job was uh, information systems technician. Um, I was previously, before that, a radioman. Um, but radioman phased out, and they called us ITs since we were working comms and uh, networks. And then before that, when I first joined the Navy, I was a machinist mate. So I was working in, like, the engine rooms of the ships. So, yeah, I had a couple jobs. But mainly being a comms guy for most of my 22-year career.
2: Okay. So, eh, didn't you do some work with Naval Special Warfare?
0: Yeah, so, um kind of an interesting story. So I do have an interesting career. So I left... um my second ship and went and did, uh, what's called visit board search and seizure for full time, which is rare. Um, they didn't have full time teams until my team came around. And then after our deployment, they shut us down. I picked up Chief and then I got orders to, uh, what's called mobile comm teams and they attached with, uh, naval special warfare units. So I spent my last, uh, I went there in 2009. I uh, supported SEAL Team Three, did a deployment with them, and then after that, right before I retired, I did my shore duty at Naval Special Warfare Group One, and kind of helped out with the comms for the guys on the West Coast. So nothing too crazy, but
2: it was a good time. Okay, always good to have tech guys around, though.
0: Yeah, that's are, what they say. They're a hell
2: of a board. Oh yeah, we <laughs> found that out this summer or mm-hmm.
0: last summer, I guess.
2: Geez. <laughs> We, we couldn't talk to the guys in the gully. <laughs> I'll
0: <didn't> forget that. <laughs> He's been trying to forget it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So, and after the Navy, you went. You started uh, 10X Strategies Consulting?
0: Yeah, so that actually started while I was in. I mean, we'll probably get to it as far as how I got into firearms and training and stuff. But when I retired... I started a consulting company cause I was helping people out with marketing. I was learning that it was just a, for IT that works with computers, you know, I found out about digital marketing and then I got into that. Um, and then started my own consulting company after that. Um, took a full-time position with a company. As a marketing director, I did that for about four years, and then now I'm back into consulting for um, another one of my buddy's companies. Okay.
2: All right. And you're doing primarily firearms marketing, firing training marketing?
0: No. So now I'm working with marketing agencies as a whole. Um, I still do some consulting for people that are in the firearms niche that ask for my help. I just don't do it as much as I used to. Um I mean, I did write the, one of the first books for it, so, um but yeah, now I'm kind of transitioning careers, sitting back a little bit more, letting all the new guys do their thing.
2: Well, and I've got, I've got that book sitting on the table here in front of me, so oh, it, well, here is your opportunity to plug it.
0: <laughs> so, the book was called um Immediate Action Marketing, and the book, I wrote it back in, it was one of my goals to write a book after I retired because all my friends that I was hanging out with, our business owners, they all had books and I was the only guy without a book. Um, so I wrote the book on just some of the principles of marketing. I mean, uh, anybody that picks up that book is going to just get a firm grasp of the basics of what every business should do. But more importantly, for that context, uh, firearms trainers, you should really like if you're going to do it for money, then you should have a good Solid base in marketing. That book will give it to you. Still, still sells on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks. When the, it was more of a, you know, um, passion project because there's things in that book that I wish I had known when I got started back in 2011. 2012 is when 10X Defense launched, but there was no real, you know, business building or marketing information for firearms guys back then.
2: Sure, and it's still, it's rare. There's not a lot of resources out there for those guys. Uh, Mm -mm. Everything's kind of C to the pants. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so hopefully that book still, you know, uh, I've been asked to update it a few more times, but, you know, I I may get that, depending on what the future holds.
1: (laughs) So, Amari, I've got your book in my hands, and thumb through it a little bit. There is a lot of great information in here. Um, Just kind of curious... From a marketing guy's perspective, you know you've got to keep people's attention, right? Yeah. Where are the damn photos?
0: Oh, that is no, that book is, you know, part of writing that book, um, I think I had photos in there and Amazon had messed it up. But part of what I wanted that book to be was something you could just put in your pocket and when you needed it. You know, like, oh, I need to do some lead generation. What should I do? I should probably set up an email system. How about I do that? Oh, just open a book and go.
1: He has some um, man-sized pockets. Actually, that's a big
0: pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just put it in your back pocket. You'd be good. Um, My pants aren't that big. The other thing was I wrote that thing in two weeks. It took me three years to actually do it. And when I actually sat down and did it self-published, From beginning to end, I paid somebody on fiber for the cover. I wrote everything. I paid somebody to edit it, and I got it out there, you know. Um, Well,
1: kudos to you, man. It's a great publish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When you go to do a next version, I know a graphic design layout guy. Call me.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay, I got you. You know, we may do that. Maybe, you know, go do it. Because, you know, nobody today really reads the book. They look at the pictures. (laughs) <laughs> well that is a separating point because if you're just looking at the pictures uh, you got to go in depth I think you know like firearms training um, you know some of my thoughts on that depth matters and when you're like marketing I learned was one of those things you do have to every business owner should do it and have like two or three layers deep into it because it's such an important part um, that I think most people, Uh, even small business owners, you know, I've worked with a lot of them over the years. It's kind of an afterthought, right? Second to delivery of the product. And what I learned is um, it's once you get into business to do a product or service, the marketing of that product is much more important than the product itself. Um, because if you got, you can have a great product, you don't have nobody to sell it to. Um, then you're kind of stuck with a great product and no money. But, (laughs) I I, mean, I can empathize. um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, um, that's just the thing. The thing.
2: Well, and, and, and you actually gave me a really good segue there. You talked about, you know, the layers. And yeah. uh, you and I first met because both of us are IDS instructors, and absolutely, y- you're one of the originals, like yeah. B-O-G.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy.
2: But you and I were just in Reno about a month ago, and and we got into this discussion about the the depth of instructors, and yeah. and how with a lot of these bigger entities are, are cranking out instructors so fast that they're, they're losing that depth.
0: Yeah. Um, I, you know, looking at firearms training, right. If we go back into his, I did my, uh, I have a master's degree in performance psychology. So one of, when I did my thesis, of course I did it on, uh, our, predecessor to IDS, combat-focused shooting. But when I was writing my thesis, I had to go back in the history and try to figure out how firearms training came about and, you know, where it's going. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of firearms training was seat of the pants. It wasn't really, like, thought about, you know, for the most part. If you look at it uh, in the early days, like when cops first started getting guns, they didn't have no training. They're carrying guns willy nilly like everybody else, you know? Right. Um, the, the military, because they were, you know, primarily the ones with guns that actually had training, you know, when the NRA was being built, a lot of those guys were military. Um, and then now as we push forward, a lot of companies, um, I can be blunt on this podcast, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I might, I might say something that's going to make somebody mad. Um, for the bigger companies, it's a marketing gimmick. It's a way to get more customers for another product. Sure. Right, let's be real. So there it's it however, I've always thought that being a firearms instructor should be no less rigorous and it's no less important than getting a doctor's degree. Do. You are dealing with life and death. People are trusting you to give them information that should they have to use it would save their life.
2: Agreed. So and- We've, we kind of torched legal heat on this show because um, one of the things that I, I really am, am against, because they'll do, they'll, they'll cram 90 people into a, a room and give them death by PowerPoint and go, here you go, here's your concealed carry license. And I always ask the question, you know, you've never seen that student shoot. Uh, if, if they get into something where they have to go to court, defend themselves, are you willing to stand there in court and defend The program that you taught them
0: yeah yeah
2: because you have no idea their competency their capability on the range
0: well how many times have we done a concealed carry class or just a regular firearms training class where they're getting their firearm new out of the box they have never held it we do it a lot well I, i think you know as far as actually, I just had somebody ask me about, I get asked about concealed carry all the time because um, I don't, actually, I live in Texas, so you have the LTC. I don't teach that. Um, and now, over the years, I mean, I've been there for like seven years, and so they're like, how do you not teach it? I think it should be separated. I think what what we now know is concealed carry is not concealed carry, right? There's the law behind concealed carry in a specific state, right. and then separately there is Concealed carry training, which is two totally different
2: things. Absolutely, right? I couldn't agree more.
1: Um, now, I will say that, that that's when a, I got my deal. concealed carry in Texas, um, there was two days of scenario-based and legal-based information in a class with tests, right? And mm-hmm. then there was a full day of practical skills. So, when I did it in Texas, they still required a a practical requirement, and it was you you had to do it right. To get your credentials, have they changed that?
0: Yeah, when I went, I did mine um, when I moved here to Texas. I moved to Texas in 2017. It was there was a shooting portion, right? But it was like 50 rounds, however many rounds it was, and then make sure you shoot. I think it was three seven, three five, seven yards, three seven, ten yards, whatever. And then you know they kind of score you on the target, but there was no.
1: They boiled um, it down to a marksmanship deal.
0: but specific, you know, oh, you had to go take, you know, be able to demonstrate you can come out of the holster, under concealment garment, you know, shoot, no shoot. There was none of that. And then it was four hours of, you know, the law. I mean, but I get it, though. The
1: back half right? of the day, when, when I took it in 2004, um, yeah. you know, the first part of the day was marksmanship, like you're talking about. But the back yeah. half of the day was scenario-based shoot, no shoot drills.
0: Yeah. It depends on who's doing it though. Right? There's a guy that I go to uh one of the gun stores I go to, he does it like that. <clears throat> he does like a full eight hour day. You know, yeah. so I think there's some leeway. There's what you have to do and there's what, you know, guys believe, guys and gals believe they should do.
1: But we see this all the um, time where people are shortening the curriculum to fit a schedule and Yeah. You you're pushing people through for the sake of pushing people
0: through. Yeah.
1: And I don't yeah. I don't agree with that.
0: Now, I, I once again, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, what I, I think. The other part of that is before I say that, the other issue is what people, the market, believes based on the information they're taking in from different entities. Now, you got to understand, as instructors, we have to. This is why I talk about: layers and depth. As instructors, we have to understand that the conversation around firearms ownership is not led by those of us who have made it our living or calling to study this body of work, put together body of work, go and train. The narrative is being controlled by extremes, either extreme gun control, you shouldn't have them, they're scary, or extreme on the other end, which is you should have them, don't care what the government says, blah, blah, blah. blah. That's who controls the conversation, right? So when you have these entities that control the conversation, at best, you get... But in the back of their mind, our voice, the voice of those who actually... I mean, not actually, but the voice of those who this is what we do and we've made it a point to do it is a big part of our lives. We get noise because for... All intents and purposes, most people, um, I had a, a, a mentor once, and I asked him, I said, you know, why is there so much turmoil in the self-defense industry? And I asked this earlier on, um, and he said, because our industry is driven by fear. When we have an industry that's driven by fear. It's hard for logic to kind of weave its way in there.
1: Well, I understand that. It just, does that make sense? It does. And the, the distinction somewhere in the middle that I'm talking about is we're talking about a proficiencies course. When you leave that course, you have a piece of paper that is now legal in your state for you to carry mm-hmm. in a concealed manner. Um, that's a proficiencies course. That's not a I have a right to own one. That's not a yeah, yeah. I can shoot one. This is a proficiencies course. and Absolutely. For a credential, I think that component in this country is dramatically lacking.
2: The 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirit Company based in Vale, Colorado, high up in the Rocky Mountains. 10th Mountain is a tribute company to the legendary 10th Mountain Division, maker of fine spirits including bourbon, rye, and vodka, as well as being a generous supporter of the shooting sports and veterans charities. Support those that support us, and to make it easier, 10th Mountain is offering our listeners a discount. Just enter "Deer Shooter at checkout for 10% off. Tenth Mountain Whiskey and Spirits Company. Whiskey worth fighting for.
0: Well, yes. Um, and part of it, I think, is looking at the credentialing process across the board, right? So, for example, there is no law enforcement agency that does, in the country, that does firearms training the same. There's not even a standard. You look at law enforcement across the board, most likely are doing the same job, right? They have the same tools. They're, they're, they're dealing with the same type of dangers. But no, if you look at, and actually this is part of my paper, I was looking at, there is no law enforcement agency that does any one thing the same, especially when it comes to firearms. Depending on the size, some agencies have a week, two weeks, some have six weeks. Um, they have different standards. Right. Every agency has their own standards, some 70 percent, some 80 percent. So there's so much confusion across them. It's hard to come up with a like standardized credential that has the rigor behind it as we would like it. You know what I mean?
2: Well, I can understand Um, that. Um, So I think part of the issue, especially with law enforcement, is all of their training is done internally. So they've got they've got this doctrine that they've had for 20 years and And they're not getting that fresh perspective from outside instruction. Mhm,
0: yeah, I, I agree that some of that's in the military as well. I mean, i I think um that was the one thing that I did different in my career, um and kind of how I got with i b s and Rob and cFS and all that was because I was in charge of training a military unit for a very specific mission, and I didn't feel that what we had access to inside the organization was going to be enough to deal with the situations I thought we might find ourselves in. So then I went outside. Not every organization gives their guys that leeway. I was super fortunate, you know what I mean, um, to be able to do that. And having trained a lot of law enforcement agencies across the country, um, I think they kind of have the same issue as like, you know, you get the younger guys that want to go out and see some things and experience some stuff, but the organization, the bureaucracy kind of hinders that. I'm starting to see that less now, um, but that has always, and I think that will, when it comes to a government entity, whether it's state, federal, local, I think you're always going to have that, right? You're right. always going to have that red tape because there's a whole nother conversation we have to look at, which is the liability for the organization. Right. And the lack of credentialing and the lack of agreement on what credentials should be, you know, the standard. So there's a lot of external forces on this sure. um, entire situation.
2: Well, so, and I, 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 was fortunate enough. I, I oh, it's been probably five years ago, six years ago now. I got an opportunity to go down to New Mexico and train with the Las Cruces SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Um, they started to see an influx of course with with the border issues and things they started to see an influx of, of pretty heavy duty crime and yeah. and their their agency basically gave them a blank check said you bring in who you need to bring in uh, yep. to get your guys trained up and yeah. and those guys you could tell that they had been bringing in anybody and everybody that they could learn from because They, they understood it and they had some shooters on that team.
0: Yeah. 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 You do find that with higher crime areas. Well, once again, it still depends on the organization, but you know, as, as the threat grows, it's kind of like, remember the North Hollywood shooting? Sure. Yeah. Before that, nobody was talking about wearing body armor and having rifles. Yeah. I mean, then the North Hollywood shooting happened. They were like, Oh, wait a second. The threat has grown. Now we got to, we got to get smarter. Um, that That is a thing, uh, a real thing. Well, I think and that's, some...
2: that's always kind of the, 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 I guess, the hardest part about being instructors is we're always behind the curve. We don't know yeah. what threat's coming next, so it's always reactionary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You talk about this in your training, though, Jason. I've, I've watched you teach it a couple times. You you boil down the skill sets from the realms of the probability and possibility, and what's realistically going to happen versus what could happen, mm-hmm. and it makes a good case for you to think about your training a little different.
2: Well, yeah, and Omari knows this. This is plausibility principle. Ooh, Ooh it's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. because
0: I can run with this one.
2: <laughs> run with it.
0: Um, so, yes, yeah, and I think with the you know, not I think, I believe with the plausibility principle, it puts, it empowers the end user. So with the problem with the plausibility principle, we're looking at training for what's most likely going to happen, right? Um, and in some contexts in ours, it's like, Hey, what's most likely to happen is you're going to get caught in a situation that's surprising. You didn't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen next. And the threat requires multiple shots to the high center chest to you know, mitigate that threat. So, you know, and that is the most simplest. It's not the most sexiest, right? But that is most probably what's going to happen. We, I think our minds, just the way we think as people, we get inundated and overwhelmed with what's possible, right? Um, We look at what happened in, let's take a, um, um, a recent one. So when Hamas went in and, and did what they did to Israel. That's on the realm of possibility. That's like, you know, years ago, we would probably talk about that, Jason. We probably sit in the group go, yeah, there really could be guys that could fly in from the sky and drop in in this place and you have to deal with these guys. Uh, back in the day, we wouldn't have made a joke of that, right? right? But that is still on the realm of possibility. The chances of that occurring is out there. But then where most people fall in, Once you deal deal with what's probable, is now you gotta look at what's plausible based on your context. As your context expands. So for example, if I buy a handgun, and one of the first things I'll probably buy a handgun for is home defense. Can everybody agree on that? Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, first time person, I'm looking at, I got my home, I got a family, I got kids, you know what, let me go out there and get me a gun just in case. Alright, cool. Well then, you decide at that point, You know, okay, I got the home thing down. You know what? I'm really thinking, you know, things are kind of getting crazy out in the streets, unpredictable. I'm going to now make the decision to carry my gun in public. So now that your context has expanded, now your training needs to expand. Before, you may have trained to shoot the target at three to seven yards you know three to five rounds but now you get in public there's a whole lot more to deal with right there's who to shoot who not to shoot there's how do you carry there's holster considerations there's well what if i'm in a vehicle what am i so now that context your circumstances have expanded so now that's what the plausibility is. so i can make some type of assumption nowadays it's more common to find people that are buying handguns that they're gonna use both inside the home, both outside the home. So now that expands where we need to tune up skill-wise, right? Right. Um, but I really think the plausibility principle is um, empowers people, but then it also carries another level of responsibility on the end user to go out and now ask different questions. You know, um, medical training is another one, right? Now I'm out in public. If something happens to me, I should probably have a tourniquet or something that I can deal with, right? Um, so that plausibility principle really kind of narrows down and expands in some ways where people should train and how they should train and what they should train, what their gear choices are, and stuff like that.
1: And I would expand on that just a little bit as the mindset, like mm-hmm. you were saying, it starts out with, you know, home security, right? Mm -hmm. But you are a bunch more times, and I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but a bunch more times likely to run in a situation going to the grocery store than you are in your house. I mean, God forbid a home invasion situation happens, but you are more likely to run across it somewhere else.
0: I would like to see, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I think... um. Everybody that carries a gun, there was uh, one time where, and every everywhere that I moved, because I've moved a lot, and what I would do is, you know, and I posted it on social media once, and somebody was like, I never knew that existed, but you can pull up crime maps in the area, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a lot of people don't do this. It's a good idea, you know, every year or so, just see what types of crimes are happening in an area right sometimes it depends on the time frame right sometimes you'll have a peak in home invasions or burglaries uh some areas right now major cities are dealing with carjackings. um california random robbery in the middle of the street right that's starting to be popular um once again you know we can go back to plausibility principle and go hey if it is most likely that when I meet violence, it will be out in public. Okay, cool. That's where I need to spend some time. And the stuff that I learned at my basic pistol course or my home defense course, that's not going to cut it. I got to get out and find somebody that can actually help me, um, you know, develop skills for outside. Statistically, I don't know. Um, but anybody can look up a crime map in their area and go, yeah, if I'm out in this area most of the time... I'm probably more likely to, you know, come into these situations. That's
2: valid. Well, and, and let me ask you this, because this is something mm-hmm. that my marketing guy tells me I'm nuts, because I have a really hard time calling a, a course advanced. Because yeah. to me, mm-hmm. all it is, is you're honing your skills in a different context, or an expanded yeah. context. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, shooting is shooting. Yep. Um, you're still applying those fundamentals, just yep. in a different application. Yep. The only place that,
1: that I would say you're nuts,
2: <laughs> and I'm marketing a marketing guy. From a marketing perspective. Is, yeah.
1: is, is, is Think about it as a foundation. The skills that you're practicing, everything you're doing builds on another. And there are obvious things that you should not be doing until you've gone through the prerequisites. Oh, agreed. Anything past a prerequisite is an advanced skill set thereof. True. So if you're going to have a prerequisite, by default, that next class has an elevated level of skill set. That's all I'm saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there. I get where you're going. Um, I would say this, and I've always said this in most of the classes that I teach, I'll probably say something like, my goal is to give you the opportunity and expose you the information <clears throat> to where you can develop skills, so that if you leave this range today, you have to defend yourself. Once you leave this range, you will have some exposure. Obviously, we're on a limited time. I normally don't teach classes less than six hours, so you know. But the reality is, violence. Doesn't have a level. It's either somebody doing the violence and somebody receiving the violence. Right. So I get where if we're talking about shooting as a skill, then we could probably make the case that there are skills that require you should have a base level of skill development at one level before you move up to the next level. Right. But let's remember what we're doing here. Right. The bad guy only knows the the aggressor i don't want to say bad guy there's one person that is using the skill of violence which is basically comes down to creating an injury in you that could be serious bodily harm or death no level to that you know um for the person that is learning to use a firearm um that's the tricky part because you know, the skill of, let's say, um, we make a difference between shooting just beyond two arms reach and shooting within one arms reach, right? Extreme post-quarters versus your standard, you know, beyond two arms reach. Mm-hmm. Well, do I need a whole nother training day to learn post-quarters? I don't know, right? I would hope that as you're learning the skills, kind of how we do, Jason, when we're teaching a standard IDS course, as you're going through the presentation of the holster, we may gloss over a certain moment where the end where you may have to take a shot within that one arm's reach. Right. We're not waiting until until you can come back next weekend to go, hey, wait a second. Don't worry about that. We'll teach you that in the next class. That doesn't fly. No. You know? So are there levels to skill development with a firearm? Is it different, you know, it's it's a different Level of skill required for shooting a target at ten yards versus fifty. Yes, but we're talking about defensive shooting, and saving people's lives. I don't think there's a skill level. It's either you can do it or you can't, because the the guy who's doing the violence or the guy that's doing the violence, they give a damn what level you're at. Right. You you better be ready to go with what you got. This so is this
2: is why we don't issue belts, because we don't want the bad guy going, oh, I can't attack him because he hasn't reached the right level yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's not the right level, right? <laughs> violence is violence. And you're you absolutely
1: know? right, and that analogy is great. <laughs> but I will offer, so, uh, if you guys have never pulled a gun out of a box before, um, even in your eight-hour class, you do not want him drawing while he's running.
0: No. No. However, it may have to happen. But Yeah, like... And from um, our, from our standpoint, yeah, I totally get it. Like, we only have so much time. Correct. Right? We have a limited amount of time to impart a limited amount of knowledge. Uh, but then that goes with the instructor as far as, you know, what type of cor- course is, are we teaching? You know? Um, and what is the context? Which is the next most important thing. When it comes to skill development, I think you have to look at the context of the course. Right. right so different contexts will require different levels of skill for what we teach in, in a standard you know one day two day our context is very specific it probably in real life would only last few seconds and we spend you know one to two days on it mm-hmm. so i believe that person would be better imp- prepared um for violence to occur, but once again, as we start expanding context, seated shooting, unorthodox shooting positions, car being, you know, yeah, that's definitely, um, applying the fundamentals in a, you know, uh, context that requires, you know, a, maybe a higher level of skill or a different level of skill. Yes. Agree with all that. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I'm <laughs>
2: I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no and I and and I I agree and it is tough um but and everything that we do is so based on the context yeah um you know as soon as you start going cuz you know I I have a lot of people and they're like well okay what about you know the grappling and I go okay you could, you go to Craig Douglas for that cuz that's not mm-hmm. me
0: yeah yeah I've definitely been, there was a time where I think as instructors, Jason, you can probably back me up on this, where you felt like I need to be everything to everybody, right? And there was almost a ten, like a slight thing like, well, if I don't know, does that lessen my authority? Um, over the years, I got super comfortable with this is my lane, this is what I do, this is what I'm good at. I had a buddy of mine um, that um, one of the, uh, the SEAL team I was supporting and we were talking on the phone he's like Amari no we were uh, I was on base yeah, having lunch or whatever and he's like uh, he was a team guy I've been in the team for a while he's like Amari you know the military spends all this money on training me to shoot and do all this stuff why should I go with you? and I kind of thought for a second I said I'm the guy you go to when all that shit goes out the window mm-hmm Then you come to me and he was like, huh, that makes sense, right? So I think there is a, it takes a while, you know, depending on your material, but you get to a point to where you're like, okay, this is what I'm, this is where I decide I'm going to live and I'm going to master this one thing, develop relationships with other people that you trust to deal with these other areas, Mm -hmm. right? And kind of direct them that way. That That's how you know, I think that's how you know you're maturing in the game.
2: Well, and I, I, you know, that, that's a lot of stuff that I'm working on right now. Uh, I'm working on bringing some curriculums forward that I can't teach the whole thing, but mm-hmm. I can. I, I have the skill to develop the program, but I've been reaching out to other instructors that I know are experts in these fields, and I'm going, "Hey, you want to be a part of this kind of thing?" And I think that comes from you one maturity uh, as an instructor, mm-hmm. and I, and I think you reach a level where you're not necessarily trying to compete. Um, you know, we, we talk about these layers of instructors and yeah. the, we, especially the new guys, uh, everything's very much, oh, I have to be everything to everybody to I can get that clientele. And I, and I get that to a certain extent, but once you become known as the guy for this, you don't really have to worry about all that.
0: No, you don't. I think there's a lot of, uh, excuse the term. I'm going to use this term. There's power that comes from being a specialist. You know, you look at the neuroscientist, is not a general practitioner. Um, I think that's, you know, um, that connects with teaching and being an instructor because there's, you know, like you said, layers. So to give everybody on the call context, when Jason and I were talking about layers, there's this layer of instructing where you understand the material and you can demonstrate the material. That's only one level. In fact, that's the lowest level. Right that's the lowest condomin- uh lowest common denominator level. um most of your government organizations that's their level of knowledge right uh all the time through uh, I went through the military, you look at the instructor' curriculum and hey, here's the material you're going to be tested on knowing this material, and you need to be able to do the same right um the next level is the um and I'm kind of loosely uh just for uh, proper accreditation. I'm loosely using blow's taxonomy to kind of make this explanation. So the next level is evaluation and analysis or analysis and evaluation. Now you're at the point to where you can start breaking things down to their principles their concepts. Where do they come from? But why? Like, why are we doing these things? Um, <laughs> a lot of instructors haven't reached that level of being able to Understand why, identify why, and then make it a, a firm argument on why. Um, and then once you get out of that level, now you start, you reach the level to now where you can now create, right? Um, I would probably say one of the best guys that I know at that level of being able to create curriculum that includes all the other levels is Rob Pinkett. Um I'm just going to say, he's like, that's his jam. Um, so it's um that's so that is the context for the layers that i believe that instructors go through and that takes time and you have to go in depth you can't be teaching 30 different things you're not going to get at that level at each thing you look at a craig douglas there was a point in time where he understood it he was able to demonstrate it and then he kind of started analyzing and breaking down different situations i believe when he was doing undercover work he's kind of able to look at things, evaluate different things, and then eventually he created, you know, the close quarters um course. And now he's at that level where, you know, he can now pass all that knowledge down to others if he chooses to, but you're not going to go, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody that has gone in that depth, in that area of instruction, if that makes sense.
2: Oh, it makes perfect sense.
0: So
1: I'm going to pull you guys back off the track a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, most of our listeners out there are starting to get trained. I hope they're listening and, and learning that that's a very important thing. In your humble opinion, where do they start?
0: Wow, this is this has changed for me. Um, I used to be like, "Hey, go find somebody." If you, it depends. Let's say firearms training. You want to go out there and train. Um, I'm just gonna say what I think now. Um, one. I think you should really have a honest conversation with yourself about violence and what it all entails. Um, shouldn't good, take long. Good place long. to start, yeah. A uh, book that I'm reading now is by Tim Larkin, and it's called... Uh, let me find it. It's in here somewhere. Uh, just look up Tim Larkin... And when violence is the answer, um, that's the name of the book. And he goes pretty in depth on violence and the reality of it. There's probably a couple other books, but that's, I know Tim and I just, I'm rereading that book. I read it beginning of every year. Now, once you understand and you kind of, you know, think of yourself that, you know, get your head wrapped around violence, then, um, you can now, determine where to go next. Do I want to buy a handgun? Okay, I want to buy a handgun. Cool. You should probably learn how handguns work. Which ones? You should go try them out. Uh, You should... most The the most important thing is to find a handgun for you. Ladies, listen to me very clearly. You wouldn't let your husband pick out your shoes. Don't let them pick out your gun.
2: Thank you. I would also offer,
1: you got to be very careful letting the guy at the counter pick out your gun.
0: Exactly. Don't let the guy at the counter pick out your gun either. Get, um, I just took one of my, uh, all my friends. They send their girlfriends and significant others to me to go train. So I take them to the range. We get, you know, four or five to try out. We look at fit. We look at recoil management. How we shoot. You know, we go through this process. So that part be part number two. Pick a firearm for you. And then from there, um, now you got to go find training and that is a little bit more tricky. I'm kind of biased. So, but, you know, when you're looking for training, I'll try to give some tips. Um, if you're in, uh, if you're looking for defensive firearms training, then look for defensive firearms training. Um, and then if you're looking for home defense training, find a course that teaches home defense. Um, the other thing is don't be tricked by Concealed carry training. And the reason why I say that is just because you go take a permit course or a concealed carry course in your state that certifies you to carry doesn't necessarily mean you're getting concealed carry training. Carrying the gun, different holsters, you know, all the things that come with carrying a gun in public. Um, and, you know, lastly, don't be afraid to do your due diligence. Um, I could probably, give, you know, depending on the person, give more specific information, but that's kind of the general without my biases in it. <laughs> I think that's kind of across the board, but you I know. do have some biases.
2: And we, we did a whole podcast on this last year about how to vet an, an instructor, uh, the questions yeah. to ask and things like that to know that you're getting a quality instructor. Um, yeah. And and I'll tell everybody here, if you're in Texas and you're looking for training, go, go talk to Amari. Uh, how do they find you omar if they want to do
0: that uh you can find me on instagram on facebook just look up my name i do i do more privates now i've kind of like slimmed down tremendously as far as training and the reason is is the people that i do train we have a long-term relationship like they come to me when they need to buy guns or teach their children to shoot i'm just in a position now where i like super small you know so if you're in the tech center you can hit me up or i will point you in the right direction
2: perfect well that sounds great well omari i i I appreciate you coming on uh absolute wealth of knowledge uh you you're you're one of those guys i could sit to and and talk to for hours and hours about this stuff but unfortunately we're we're coming up on time yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, appreciate you coming on. And Thank you. Uh, are are you going to shot?
0: No, I won't be going this year. I have uh, one of my good friends is retiring after 30 years. My best friend I grew up with, so I will be attending his retirement this year.
2: Gotcha. Well, you will be missed.
0: <laughs> I'll be there next year, though.
2: Sounds good. Well, we will see you then, if not before, and until next week. You guys just keep blaming the gun.